Hey, psst, before I play this week's episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond, which is a programming by stealth episode with Bart, I wanted to give you a little hint about the show. We spent a long time going through the homework from last time, and if you want to go through it with us, you're going to love it. But if you're hoping to get to the new stuff, which is more fun with CSS and buttons, then skip ahead an hour and six minutes to get to it. Like I said, we spent a long time on the homework, but I loved it, and I hope you do too. But I just want to tell you, go to an hour and six minutes if you want to get to the CSS stuff. Okay, nobody tell Bart I told you this, okay? It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 472 for January 20th, 2017. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, we're back with Bart Bouchotts. We're going to do programming by stealth number 28 of X. Hey. Oh. <laughs> I am so proud of myself this week. Uh, because Steve was doing all the work with all the videos from CES, mm -hmm. that gave me more time to be able to work on my homework. And I started my homework two weeks ago. I started it like Yay. a Monday or something, but right after we did the uh, did the last show. And I know you said these were little itty bitty, tiny bite sized mm -hmm. little things, but each one of them took me like, I don't know, 14 hours a piece. And I managed to get the first two. Uh, and uh, and with a little help from you at the end here, I got the third one. But I do have to say that it takes a village. It took uh, Dorothy and Jill and Alistair and you to get me through these Little teeny tiny itty bitty bite sized things. Okay, so I guess my question is: so the first one I would have expected to take the longest time because you, that's completely blank sheet territory. Yeah, but the second one should have gone a bit easier. I would have. It was. Hoped. It was a lot. It was a lot easier. And then the third one, I just didn't have any idea how to start, so that that took a little bit of extra time yelling at you yesterday and stuff. So I would like to say, with the exception of all those people helping me, I did it all by myself. <laughs> But the main okay. thing, I had fun. I had fun. I was, I was okay, like good. chipping, chipping away at it, and and getting it to work was was really, really enjoyable. I felt uh, I wanted to find the time to go do it. It wasn't like oh, I got to do my homework now. Okay, well, I'm hoping that the act of working your way through it will have cemented stuff into your brain an awful lot more than just reading a solution. I, definitely more. Definitely more. Expecting. All of it to be cemented. I was looking through oh, some of yeah. my, my example code and I found something where I had a little note to myself. I had a comment that said, light bulb on. This is what this means. And I read it and I went, I have no idea That's what I, it. no, no, I didn't have any idea what I meant when I said I understood what it meant. <laughs> oh, <dear. sighs> okay, well, we're going to continue the sort of parallel universe that we started last time. Okay. Um, but we're going to do it the other way around this time. So we're going to do our look at our sample solution. And then I'm going to point out everything that's wrong with my sample solution. Oh. And then we're going to learn something new by making these prototypes better. And that will okay. be your homework. Oh. So I'm going to set your challenge before we even start the new stuff. Okay. And I'm assuming and if we'll you don't like yours, mine must just be miserable. <laughs> Actually, okay, Jill said beautiful code at one point. Well, that, that sounds good to me. I'll take that. Um. <laughs> So I guess the first thing is in the show notes is a copy paste job of my sample solution, which I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's quite similar to yours. Since I pretty uh, much copied off your mine. paper. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, but some regular uh, expressions. That's nice. That's how you always do regular expressions. If you tell me, Bart, is this an integer? I'm going to say convert it to a string and do a regular expression on it. That, that's <laughs> just how I roll. So uh, the basic structure is, you know, following the, the, the six-step program from last time. So 
I would imagine we've ended up with very similar code. Um, the biggest leap that I asked you to make that was not identical to the sample was the third one, was the date time. Yeah, because you didn't a, actually ever tell us how to make functions talk to each other. Right. However, if you follow the six-step rules, it is the same. So if we look at just, we'll skip straight down to my code to line 206, which is where I start that final prototype, that uh, date time. Okay. So the, the first sort of part of the, the six-step program we have to do over again is you know, so step one, get the requirements. Well, I gave you those. Step two, start the, uh, start the namespace. Well, that's all been done at the top of the file. So step three, create the constructor. So you'll see that its structure is quite like before, right? So I said there were two pieces of data. And so we call them, I call them this, that underscore date and this, that underscore time. So that's like before. I'm going to actually back you up a little bit. So this was a big piece that I, I asked you about uh, offline in I don't know whether other people have trouble with it, but you you kind of gave us this wholly packaged thing that had yeah. um, that had parentheses function open parentheses PBS comma undefined close parentheses open squiggly bracket, and sure, then yeah. all the way down to close squiggly bracket close parentheses semicolons and some other whatever goes at the end of that. I didn't yes. know was I supposed to copy all of that or just the stuff inside that? And it looks like you only copied the stuff inside that. Well, in this for today, for the, for this installment, it would have made no difference. Okay. For this installment, both approaches would have worked, and why that won't be true next time is actually something we're going to talk about in detail later. You know, in five this or ten time. minutes. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. It's actually something that we need to talk about. So okay. I the reason I didn't focus on it last time is because it actually doesn't matter for this this week's homework. Okay, so but it stopped me had... in my tracks because I didn't know how to start. Okay. Well, whichever you had done, it would have that wouldn't have been what. Yeah, but I didn't worked. start because I didn't oh. know which way to start. <laughs> okay. I hope people would just try and because whatever they tried, it would have worked. Well, yeah. Here's here's the problem with just trying when when and and this is something I'm still struggling with is I I need to find ways to build these in little pieces so that I can figure out where I screwed up. So if I had tried. And I had written all this big glop of code about date time and it failed. I wouldn't have known if it was in my big glop of date code or whether it was the fact that I had done that other thing, you know, one inside or outside of that, that function stuff. So yeah. in order to, to parse it down to bite-sized pieces, I need, to, I need to have a way to do that. And not knowing whether the entire structure is wrong, I wouldn't have known what I was doing. That's why I didn't okay. try before I okay, bought well, it. Okay, well, I so said we're going to look in detail at, at, at the difference it makes whether or not you do it as three or one. So we'll, okay. we'll talk about that in a moment. All right. So our constructor here is very much like before. We say, I said there are two pieces of data, and we initialize two pieces of data with two defaults. We just say this that underscore date time equals new PBS date. Sorry, this that underscore date equals new PBS date. This that underscore time equals new PBS time. So what we are doing is we are saying that we will have a date. And it will be an object we've just created using our prototype from earlier. So new pbs.date means give me a new date object. And new pbs.time means give me a new time object. So now we have a date time that contains a date and a time. So before we had a date that contained three integers. Now we have a date time that contains a date and a time. Right. Which I didn't do correctly the first time. So the basic fundamental 
beginning part, even though you practically spoon fed me yesterday, I kept wanting to put a default in there, like right. for 1958. We are putting a default, but the thing is, we're just accepting the default that we created before. So pbs.date defaults in my code to 1st of January 1970. I don't know what it defaults to in your code, but whatever it is, you're basically saying my default date time will accept the defaults from the previous thing. Okay. D- does the um the the date prototype and the time prototype have to be in the in the code before date time? Yes. Yes, because they're not part of the JavaScript language, so they have to ex- it wouldn't matter what order you put them in the code, but all three would have to exist before the actually no, no, it would let me think. No, it would as long it wouldn't matter what order they were in your code, as long as all of your stuff for testing it is below all three of your prototypes. Yeah, see, that's what I thought. And um uh Dorothy was saying they had to be in order, and I was thinking I thought that everything runs and then it goes back and, and gets stuff. It, yeah, no, it, it would work. It would know everything yeah, no, as of the time it started running. As long as yeah, before as long- it gets invoked, right? Exactly. As long as all three prototypes are defined before the bit where it says test code. <laughs> okay. It'll be fine. Okay, good. Yes. Good. Will be, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I understand. Um, and then we do the same thing on lines 212 on that we do in our sample where we just basically say whatever the arguments were, if any, mm-hmm. just pass them on to the accessor functions we haven't written yet. Mm-hmm. which is feels weird, but I think I've set it off enough that you've decided it's okay. Yeah, I'm at peace with it. You're at peace, good. And then we come to the accessor functions. And these are almost identical to what we've done before. The only subtle difference is that instead of testing to see whether or not we got an integer, we need to test whether or not we got a date or whether or not we got a time. So the test for validity is on line 226. Yeah, I never so got saying, as far as testing. So, yeah, so what yes. do you do there? So you just assume the user gave you sane stuff, which is not a bad starting point. Well, and what? I already know that that function is going to spit out the correct stuff. Don't I so already don't, know that? Well, no, because in your test, in my test code, I could do something stupid. I could say var, let me see, part three test, var gonna prank Bart equals new PBS date time boogers comma snot. But it would have erred out and never come in as an input then. But no, right. But if you don't do your tests, it would not have erred out. If you don't do your tests, it would go ahead. The tests exist up in in, uh, date and time. So date and time is either going to error out or it's going to give you a good value, one or the other. No, no. Because if you're calling the accessor method on date time, then D is boogers. If you're looking at line 222, D is boogers, we say, did you give me an argument? Okay, this dot underscore date equals D. Well, now our date contains boogers. Well, hang on, hang on. No, because because our date function would have thrown that out. But, it wouldn't have accepted boogers, boogers for a date. The date function was never called. If you give me boogers, the date function was not called. We have Why a not? variable we have named underscore date, but you've just shoved some boogers into it. <laughs> Um, a name is but, not but deterministic. No, 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 right? no, no, no. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. But the but we gave that value boogers to the date function, and the date function is going to say, "Hey, that's a string, and it's not January, February, March, December." So no, therefore, okay. I'm going to spit this out, and I'm not going to accept it, which means it'll never make it to date time. 
that's not true. So we are saying we are defining the date function that belongs to date time. So not not any function. So date time dot date is not the same thing as PBS dot date. Right. I don't date accept that. No, I don't accept that at all. If that's true, then I fundamentally don't understand what we're doing. Because you okay, said we so, were going to use the prototypes that we'd already built as the variables that are going into date time. So I already yes. know that what comes out of date is a valid date. Okay, but here we're asking the user to put something in. So we need to make sure the user has given us a date. We want a date from the user. Yes. So we but need that's going to go through date and get converted into a good date. Or no, it isn't. It's just... Well, it's not because we're saying 229 just says this dot underscore date equals D. If we don't check it, D could be anything. Where did you get D? D was passed by the user. Why are you taking anything from the user? I thought you, we were going to take everything from date and from time. No, it's an accessor method. So the job of an accessor method is to get the current value. But the current value should have come from date and time. From PBS but they want to PBS. change it. It's an accessor method. So they've created a date with some default values, and they now want to change the default to something else. They must give me... So in the previous ones, they would give you, say, my uh, home to- breakfast time dot hours 12. Mm-hmm. But they could have all said breakfast time dot hours boogers. And it would have been we spit out. Test. Right, we had to we test had to go it. And yeah, we had to write that test. Well, in this case, we have to write the test that D really is a date. Okay, you're going to, we should have talked about this offline because this is going to stop me cold turkey. And it, obviously it has, is uh, the block diagram I expected was the date from the user gets stuffed into a box that is pbs.date. And out of that comes a valid date. That is the input to date time. And a time, a, a Time, good or bad, is going to go into time, and out of that is going to go into date time. And those two values then don't need to be tested because we already tested them back in our prototypes for date, pbs.date and pbs.time. Only if they created a date. If they went var my date equals new date and then passed that date in as an argument, then it will already have been tested. But they could say, I would like to create a date time, and instead of giving me a date and a time, they're going to give me boogers and snot. I need to make... It's coming from the user. You cannot assume it's correct. But that's only true if it doesn't come from date, pbs.date and pbs.time. Which it doesn't necessarily. Why? Why It's coming from the user. The user can type anything. Yeah, but it'll get stopped by pbs.date and pbs.time. No, it won't. It it can't, uh, because... If you look at the example at the bottom, right? So line 282, we say var gonna prank Bart. Yes? Mm-hmm. Then we say new PBS date time. And I correctly pass my constructor a date, new PBS.date, and a time, mm-hmm. new PBS.time. So if you follow that through the code, we're calling the constructor. So that means we're calling line number 207. So D and T become those two objects I just constructed. Okay. Then I say, did you pass me a D? Yes, you did. Then I say this dot date D. So I am now calling my accessor method, which starts at line 222. Hang on. So it's come down. Hang on. You took, you took a valid date, 1-4-2017, and you passed it into pbs.date. Correct? I, 
I I used the date constructor to create an object which rep, which contains the date one four twenty seventeen. And and the and the object that it creates will be formatted if you're in the US as one slash four slash twenty seventeen. So therefore what comes out of PBS.date is a valid date. Yes, because I have done everything correctly here, right? No. It, PBS.date right? has done that job. Okay, but what if instead of saying var, what if I change line 282 and I say var gonna prank Bart equals pbs.datetime open bracket boogers comma snot close bracket semicolon. Then date p, new pbs.date boogers comma snot will be invalidated by pbs.date. pbs.date okay, no, is no, gonna say saying, those. No, 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 no. I'm saying after date time open round bracket open quote boogers close quote comma so you're saying quote, you wouldn't have not. put a new pbs.date in there exactly I have so why why bother doing this then this there's no point in having date and time in here at all if you're not going to use them i can see how yeah, if you I don't am, call them they think... won't work i get that that now i see what you're okay. saying but yeah, why well, i gotta check that i haven't been passed gobbledygook the users will pass rubbish to your functions. You've got to check your assumptions. So the assumption is anyone saying will pass me a date. I've told them to pass me a date, but you need to check that they've passed you a date. Just like when we yeah, were doing I, hours I, I, and minutes. I, I know. I, under, I understand that part. That's not where I'm confused. I don't understand why you wouldn't use your date function. That you just, Why would you waste time val, validating a date again when you could make it go through pbs.date first? Well, because I am the the accessor method expects to be handed a date. All I need to do is check: is it a date? But you already wrote That's that code. You already no, wrote I'm that not, code. No, no, it's already over in pbs.date. It seems wasteful. You're going to write it again? No, I'm not writing again. I am saying: is the value d an object with the prototype date? That's all I'm going to check. Does it have? Is it an object of type date? So that's why. The relative line is line 226. It just says D instance of PBS.date. That's my only check. Is it a date? I don't have to do any deeper checking. If okay. it's a date, it's okay. Okay, you're, you're, <laughs> you're checking to see it's, if it's an instance of PBS.date. That, yeah. that makes sense to me. You're not checking to see if it's a date. You're checking to see if PBS.date built it. Yes. That's, is, that's different than saying, is it a date? I thought you were going to go okay. back and say, I'm going to check and see if it's in my lookup of my lookup table to see if it says January. I'm going to turn it into a four. I thought you were going to do all that again. No. Okay. So in programming, <laughs> when you say something is a date, you mean it is an object built with the. No, you, no, no, no. Date. You can't say that. No, come on. You no, got, you got to use real, no, you got to use real no. words. You, you've been working so hard to teach us these, these, these really hard to remember words i would think you'd use them is it well, a date no is that, it a, is that, it an object created by prototype dot, dot date now i'm with which, you okay okay good anyway we've arrived where we want to arrive yeah so the only <laughs> test we have to do is is this an instance of our prototype because the prototype is taking care of everything else we just got to say are you one of those are you one of them guys mm -hmm. and so we do indeed I'm check with that. You. So instance of pbs date with you. And the error we throw is, well, I wanted an instance of a date and you didn't give me an instance of a date. Okay. And so the time does exactly the same thing, but of course it checks for an instance of time. Right. Because we want a date and a time. So we check, are you a date? Yes, you are. Are you a time? 
Are you an instance of the prototype pbs.date? Are you an instance of the prototype pbs.time? And then it stores them. So this.underscore.time equals time, etc. Everything like before. There you go. And then we just have to provide our four functions, which are to return the date time as American 12-hour, American 24-hour, European 12-hour, and European 24-hour. And this might sound like a lot of work, but do you notice how short those functions are? Yeah. They're one line each. The reason they're one line each is because we've done all the work in the other prototype. So to get the date to, to get the American 12-hour, we say return this.underscore.date.american concatenated with a space concatenated with this dot underscore time dot time 12. Yeah. Because we've done the work before. Yeah. And so again, the 24 hour and so forth. Right. And for my string function, I just concatenate the t calling to string twice. So this dot underscore date dot to string concatenated with a space concatenated with this dot underscore time dot to string. Seems like a same oh, thing. And I see, I see one thing. So this was another piece that Jill caught me up on is I thought I had to put like dot European in there. And then that kind of adds to confusion of, well, okay, which one are you going to do? But uh, yeah, you just don't do that piece. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I gave you the test code as part of the assignment. Uh, so I just copied and pasted it back in there. So you can, in theory, copy and paste everything in this massive big text box, all 283 lines, paste it into the playground, then hit go. And you will see that all three blocks of test code run. Cool. So that's my sample solution to what I asked you to do. And a few things I want to draw your attention to. So the first I've already mentioned, the fact that the, sec the last prototype is the shortest of the three even though it does the most complicated thing. And the reason is because we're using what we've done before. Yeah, yeah. So the next thing I want to draw your attention to is the naughty question of years. Mm -hmm. So it is a, an annoying fact of life that there is no year zero. The year before one CE or AD, depending on your point of view, is not the year zero AD or the year zero BC. It is the year 1 BCE or 1 BC, depending on which terminology you're using. Okay. So that's annoying as all bejesus, if you excuse the phrase. Thankfully, astronomers have run into this problem before and they have a solution. So there's something called astronomical year numbering, where it says, yes, have a year zero. The reason that not having a zero is a problem is if you want to do maths, how many years were there between 15 BC and 1580? The answer is 29, <laughs> not 30. That is that makes your head explode. That's wrong. Right. That's not how maths is supposed to work. So we would like mathematics to work, and so would astronomers, because they don't want to have to check have we crossed zero, because if we have, we're out by one. So they number the years zero minus one minus two minus three, and they simply say that the astronomical year zero is the human year. 1 BC, the astronomical year minus 1 is the human year 2 BC, and they just get on with their life that way. And then astronomical year minus 15 is 30 years after astronomical year 15. Okay, before. my head just hurt. <laughs> okay. We just basically store it as an integer, and we know that when we're printing it out for humans, we, sub we, just, subtra we just subtract 1. Oh, is this going to be like the index in an array where it's always off by 1? Right. So it's off by one while we're storing it internally, which means all of our mathematics works. And only when we print it out to the human do we care about that fact. So my 
dot European function contains an if statement that says if this dot underscore year is less than or equal to zero, take one away from it, take the zero off, or sort of take the minus sign off, and then stick the letters BCE after it. Okay. So can you see the little snippet there where is my entire PBS dot European there? Can you see that? Uh, a little 17 line snippet just below the gigantic big one. Ah, well, there's a little three line one I was looking at, but okay. Uh, yeah, okay. So the one after the three line one. Okay, so the 17 line one. That's so that is my for. European function. So if a day is less than 10. I'm prefixing a zero. Okay. Because I like to have the zero one slash zero four. Okay. I thought about that on the dates, but I got tired. Yeah. (laughs) On the the months and the the day. Okay. Yeah. So I've intentionally done this for a reason that will become clear. Okay. So you do it to the month. I do it to the month and then I stick in the current day and the minus sign. And then I do it to the month. I stick in my leading zero and then I stick in the actual month and a minus sign. And then I say, so in line 11, if this dot year is less than or equal to zero, so if we're into BC territory, mm-hmm. I say, concatenate on to the current answer. So what's maths.abs? Do you remember what that Absolute is? Absolute value, I'm sure. Correct. So I say the current year minus one and then take the minus sign off it. So zero becomes minus one becomes one. And then I stick the letters BCE. So the year zero becomes one BCE, the year minus Why would the two. year zero ever be passed to you? Well, because I'm saying in astronomical year numbering, that's how it works. We don't, we allow negative years and that way mathematics works. So I've written my code to allow mathematics to work. It's a decision I've made. I didn't tell you to make the decision. So I'm now telling you that's what I decided to do. Okay. I, I don't understand why zero would ever even be asked of you. Why would nobody um, would ever pass you zero? Or you could just say, don't pass me zero. Then you don't have to do any of this. Well, no, because what if they, what if the year is minus 15? So what if you're doing if you, math on your years? So what you if, create me what a if year the user gives you 15 BC? Okay, but I'm saying they have to give me an integer. So I'm not allowing strings in my code. I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that friendly. I want a number. I, right, I but you're numbers. letting them p- give you a minus number, which I would never I give them. I would yeah, never I let them give you a negative number. number. That's silliness. A minus number is fine. I'm using astronomical year numbering, so a minus number is perfectly cromulent, if you use the made-up Simpsons word. Okay. Um, and I'm just dealing with it by saying, I'll take your minus numbers because they're fine, but when I'm printing them out to the humans, I will make them friendly, so I will make them say whatever BCE. And what if they give you zero? That's where you change it to negative one? Zero becomes one BCE, negative two become, becomes three BCE. So you're allowing them to give you a date that does not exist? You're okay with that? Right, because in astronomical year numbering, it does exist. The rule is if it's a zero, then it's one BC. If it's, a, if it's so minus what, one, what it's what user BC. is this that would give you zero? Uh, well, anyone who's doing actually date calculations in science will give me that because all of science works this way. Because if you start off with some sort of, you say the current year minus 5,000 minus another 5,000, what have I got now? Okay. Well, so deltas, deltas of, of years, I guess I can see that. Yeah. And right. if you don't right. have a zero, then all those deltas are like garbage. So okay. easiest just let them have a zero. Okay. So that's what's good about my solution. Now, my solution literally stinks. There is an actual term in real software engineering they teach in actual universities called bad smells in software. (laughs) So software engineering involves removing bad smells. And this code has some bad smells. So it stinks. 
Okay, and since uh, I pattern mine after yours, I, I smell too. Right, All and right. I've intentionally I've sent you up to smell so we have a problem to solve. Okay. Because you like solving problems. Okay. So the biggest problem we have is there's an awful lot of duplication. So we need to test if something is an integer within a certain range over and over again. In our date, we had to check if the hours were between 0 and 23. If the minutes, that's not the date, that's the time. In mm -hmm. the time, we had to check if the hours were between 0 and 23. The minutes were between 0 and 59. The seconds were between 0 and 59. In the date, we had to check that the day was between 0 and 31 at the very least. And there's more to it than that. Mm -hmm. We had to check if the month is between 1 and 12. 0 is not allowed. And we had to check if the year is a number. So that's a lot of checking for numbers. So okay. That's very similar code over and over and over and over and over again. And if you write it so more than once, the, that means that your chances to make an error and one of them goes up by the right. cube of that, probably. <laughs> and one of the bad smells that software engineering teaches you to look for in code is code duplication. Okay. That is a stink. If you're finding yourself copying and pasting, uh -huh. stop. Huh. It's duplication. So that says, when you see that, what that means is I should write a function that does this job and then call my function. And then if I find a bug i have one place to fix it the function not 20 places to scroll to to fix yeah. the same type yeah so we clearly need a function to validate integers so i am giving it to you here a little 20 line function called is valid integer hmm. it takes three arguments the value to test and then optionally a lowest allowed value and a highest allowed value so the hmm. first thing it does is check if the value is an integer, and my preferred way of checking if something is an integer is to use a regular expression. So my regular expression is starts with an optional minus sign followed by one or more digits. So hat means start, minus question mark means an optional minus sign, slash d means a digit, plus means one or more of, dollar means end of. Yes? But that doesn't, does that preclude you from having, since you end up with dollar sign, does that does that keep you from having a decimal point after that? Yes, it does. Okay. I believe you. I still can't oh, no, read regular expressions. No, I believe you. Yeah, there's okay. no room in there, for period. So that okay. would not be allowed. Then I say, if type of lower bound is a number, then I'm also going to check that the value is less than the lower bound. And if it is, it's invalid. If the and type if of number, lower bound is a number, so if and they the value is less than the lower bound, less than... Yeah. So if the value is less than the lower bound, return false. Oh, return false. Okay. I was yeah. expecting a true after that. Okay. All right. Yeah, but it's a false, which is why your brain yeah. went, hang, what? Yeah, okay. And then we have the exact inverse logic for an upper bound. If the value is greater than the upper bound, also return false. And if so you you're assuming the that the lower the bound, it can be equal to the lower bound in this example. Yes, I am. Okay. Yes. All right. So basically the lower bound for minutes will be zero and for months will be one. Okay. And then I say, if we made it all the way to the bottom, return true. I like that. So that's our standard model. If anything goes wrong, return false. And if you get all the way to the end, well, nothing went wrong, so it must be all good. So we now have a function. But the big question is, physically, where in my code do I put this? Hmm. Yeah, that's the kind of thing you never tell us. <laughs> that's why I'm spending time telling you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Before I tell you where to put it, I'm just going to show you how to use it, just be, to make it just to hammer home the point. So below are my prototype for my accessor methods for just the time. 
So you see that it now says, if not, is valid integer hours, comma, 0, comma, 23. And then for minutes, it's M, comma, 0, comma, 59. Wait, and then wait, for wait, seconds, wait, 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 where? I lost so you. Line, okay, so just below my little 20-line function is another 30 lines of code. Okay. Those are my accessor methods from pbs.time. Okay. And they have been rewritten so that on line 5, line 15, and line 25, I now call my new function to check my values. So H is checked for whether it's between 0 and 23. Mm. M is checked between 0 and 59. And S is checked between 0 and 59. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now we get to the nutty question of, okay, fine. This is a lovely function. This saves me copying and pasting code. Where do I put the function, Bart? Where, where in my code does this go? So, do you remember why we do this whole dance with self-executing anonymous functions? The, we did it to solve a problem. Yes, the, we did. <laughs> the problem we were solving was littering the global scope. Yes. We didn't want to be littering. the. I remember that. We didn't want to litter the global scope. Therefore, what we should do when we're doing this kind of thing is when we're writing an API, we take everything that belongs to the API and we put it inside one massive, big, self-executing anonymous function. So that means what goes in there is our private super secret helper functions like this one we've just written mm -hmm. and our prototypes, plural, Okay. All go in the one self-executing anonymous function. So they all share a scope, which means that this little helper function exists as far as date is concerned, as far as time is concerned, and as far as date time is concerned. They're all sharing a scope. Okay, but so if I do them as three function. separate uh, functions, self, uh, what did you call it? Anonymous, anonymous self-executing anonymous functions, if I had them separate, then I would have to litter the, the outer scope with is valid integer as a, as a little program. Or copy and paste it three times, which is uh, not against our the whole at all. point. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yes. So because we didn't have any super secret helpers, it didn't matter for the last week's assignment, whether we did three or one. But once we get into this habit of having little helper functions, then we've got to have one big self-executing anonymous function to hold it all together. And so the global scope never sees this little function. Mm -hmm. It's only visible inside that self-executing anonymous function. So we're not littering, but all three of our prototypes can see it. So would it be a true statement that I could put it between date and time? I could put it after date time? As long as I put it before any of those functions got invoked, I'm good. Yes, indeedy. Okay. That is a true statement. Okay. Okay. I like that. So while, while, we're writing, while we're writing functions to make our lives easier, we can keep doing this kind of thing, right? Okay. Um, Jill tells me not to be afraid of making new variables. Yeah, because <laughs> if you put a new variable inside that self-executing anonymous function, it's not littering the global scope either. Right, 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 right. So if you wanted a lookup table for how many months, how many months in each day, no, how many days, days in, in each month, month, you could put it in there too. Ooh. So, at the moment, my code is a tad naive. My validation for whether or not something is a valid day of the month is simply, are you between 1 and 31 inclusive? And that will certainly rule out an awful lot of garbage. So you cannot have oh, a day. Oh, mine actually did check 
thanks to Dorothy pointing out, what about leap year? I didn't do leap year because I talked to you before I worked on it, but I I did make mine in a lookup table where it said, okay, check and see how many uh, days are in that month. Yeah, Mine's better so, than yours. Right now, as it stands, my sample code will allow you to run the following line without getting cranky. So var impossible date equals new PBS dot date 31 comma 2 comma 2017. Okay. 31 is less than or equal to 31. My code will not complain. 2 is less than or equal to 12. 2017 is an integer. All fine, except for the fact that there is no 31st of February. <laughs> Ever. I'm going to complain about something else. Okay. I, I get that when we're done, we should display our data in the way that our country wants to see it, European and, and American. But I think your inputs should be in the order of year, month, date, because that's the only thing we have in common. I agree entirely. Uh, Dorothy sent me that comment literally like minutes after we post. Not Dorothy, uh, Jill. Jill. Okay. <laughs> and I, I just kicked myself. and went, oh, no. But it was too late because we published. Because I look at that and I'm like, 31-2-2017. Well, that isn't, there is no such 31-2-2017, but for the wrong reason. Yeah, okay. So in hindsight, if I were doing this for real, that is absolutely the right solution. Year, month, day, then everything's fine. Since it's the only thing we agree upon. Exactly. By the way, did you notice my my when my text spit out it would it would say things like European stupid date format? My comments. I did not notice that. <laughs> I was I was looking at the more bigger picture. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so in order to check if a date is truly valid, we can make a first stab at it with a very simple lookup table that just has the number of days in every month. And let's forget about February for a minute. Okay. So we can make a variable called days in month lookup because I just I like long names sometimes. And we say days in a month lookup 1 equals 31. Days in a month lookup 2 equals 28. Days in a month lookup 3 equals 31. You know the rhyme. 30 days has September, August, June, and right. November. Whatever. Yeah, but you I had to say out. that out loud and write it down on a piece of paper before I could st- do mine. Well, but- actually, one my dad taught me is you can use your knuckles. So if you start on January on sort of the knuckle next to your thumb, that's mm-hmm. a high one. So that's 31. Then the next one is a valley. So that's February. March is a high one. April is a valley, May is a high one, June is a valley, July is a high one, August is a high one, and then you reverse back and it works. Hmm, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> okay. It I, works. I, this this format that you wrote does not look familiar to me. You say var days a month lookup equals, and then you got open, close, squiggly bracket, and then all your days and months lookup 1, 2, 3, 5 to 12, they're all outside of the squiggly bracket. Okay, so what is, I'm saying var days in a month lookup equals an empty object. So the first line, line one, just makes an empty object named days in month lookup. Okay. Then on line two, I say stick into that empty object a key of one with a value of 32. Now we're used to seeing the keys be something like boogers or some sort of texty string, but they can be integers. So I'm saying that the key one gets the value 31. The key two gets the value 28. The key See, three I just gets wrote var one. space number months equals open squiggly bracket January colon uh, quote one comma okay. February colon two. Well, that two. would work. But then your keys are January. Only we're storing integers. So I'm right. But I'm, this was how I allowed them to give me uh, text dates that they were allowed okay, to say so January slightly different way then because you're using it to figure out well one is what mm-hmm. whereas i'm using it only to say the month is one what should the days be 
So my key is what the month is, and my value is what the maximum amount yeah, of days. They can't. And they can't give you January. They have to give you one. They have to give me one because I'm 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 an integer man. You're over right? there letting them give you negative numbers, and you're not letting them write January. <laughs> yeah, no, numbers though. Numbers. Just think of them as numbers, right? They're numbers. I made the them into numbers. Three. Okay. Anyway. All right. We have this lookup now, and this gets us out of 11 twelfths of our problem. Because we could simply check all of the months apart from that starting February. February, though, is more of an issue. So, that, so I, I'm afraid that looks way too messy to me. I, I really think that the way I did it was better. Because you can okay. eliminate them in two steps. If it's February, and I take out leap year, I said if it's February, you got to be less than 28 less than or equal to 28 and if it's april if it's four six nine or 11 then it's got to be uh it can go up to 30 everything else gets to go to 31 three steps you got 13 lines of code okay okay i still prefer lookups because it makes the actual function more readable so the actual function, to check if a date is valid, you actually can't check just the date or just the month or just the year. You have to check the combination of all three. So for something to be a valid date, you need to pass mm-hmm. it all three, and then it can figure out that sudden February thing. Right. I, I, if I only tell you the day and the month, not enough information. Is it 2016 or is it 2017? That makes a difference. Mm-hmm. So I've got to tell you all three. So I named my little lookup function, is valid DMY combo. <laughs> okay. And then I pass it a D and M and a Y. And again, in hindsight, that should have been a Y and M and a D. Okay. But okay. So now, what are the rules for these sudding uh, uh, leap years? So according to Wikipedia, we use the Gregorian calendar. And in theory, the Gregorian calendar came into being in 1582. So in theory, if you're going to be really strict about your dates, then there should be no leap years before 1582. <laughs> That would have made all of our heads explode. So we as a species have decided to backwards propagate the Gregorian calendar. And so it's called the proleptic Gregorian calendar. And that's actually what we use for our history. So the people in history would have said that something happened on one date. And our history books would say a different date. Because our history books have projected our calendar back in time. Oh, you're kidding me. So no, at a I'm certain point, serious. things start, get shifted, start getting shifted by a day. Up to 14 days before they realized we needed leap years. Julius Caesar didn't do leap years fully. He was out by the quarter day. And so by the time uh, Pope Gregory came along to redo the calendar, centuries had passed, 15 of them. Oh, no. So we were out by 14 days or something. Oh, what a mess. Well, now we're off here doing leap seconds. Right, exactly. Our grandchildren will be looking at leap milliseconds. (laughs) Yeah, so we say that Isaac Newton was born on the 25th of Jan- of December. Okay. His mother thought it was something like the 13th. <laughs> so on our calendar projected back, he's born on Christmas Day, but he wasn't born on his Christmas Day. Okay. So, anyway, so, so the, the man that's allowing them to back, put in negative numbers is, okay, good. <laughs> but by deciding to project our calendar back, it actually makes your lives easier. We just have leap years all the way down. It's just leap, It's like turtles all the way down, leap years all the way down. So then our rule just becomes, if it's divisible by four, then January has 29 days, with the exception of years that are divisible by 100, with the exception of exception if they're divisible by, four, by 400. Mm-hmm. And that's just a bunch of if statements. Right. So now we're okay. So now my function is valid combo says, var number of days in month equals my lookup followed by M. 
So all I need to do to figure out how many days are in the month are just call my lookup with the current month value. Mm-hmm. So line three becomes nice and short because I have those lines you find ugly. In your case, my line three is your if statement. We can argue about which one's better. They're both perfectly valid code. That's what I want to hear. Okay. <laughs> so then I say, if the month is sodding well two, <laughs> then we go off and we check if it's a leap year. Var is leap year equals false. If the year is divisible by four without a remainder, then it might be a leap year. Our friend the okay. modulus. It's the modulus, exactly. Is it divisible by 100? Well, it still might be a leap year. Is it divisible by 400? It's a leap year. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then finally, I say, if it's a leap year, the number of days in the month is 29. And then I just say, the number of days in the month. So I return D less than or equal to the number of days in the month, question mark, true, colon, false. In other words, if it is less than, return true, otherwise return false. So you only have to do this piece of code uh, once. once. Yeah. Because I've stuck it in a function called is valid DMY combo. And okay. I can call that function from each of my accessor methods. Uh-huh. This sounds like we have a really good solution now. But I, I have stamped out a stink. My code is less stinky. Okay. Unfortunately, I have stamped out a big stink and made a little stink. So you see these little two snippets of co- two lines of code in the next snippet down. Var my date equals new PBS dot date. Wait, where? My where? date. Uh, so just below my my forty three line long fun- uh, example of using my okay. new function in my prototypes, I then have a little two liner. Var my date equals new PBS dot date. My date dot day twenty nine dot month two dot year twenty sixteen. That's a valid date, right? The twenty ninth of February 2016. That is correct. And yet, that code throws an exception. However, the code underneath does not throw an exception. So if I say my date.year2016.month2.day29, it doesn't throw an exception. So why does the order matter? I, I got lost because you jumped over a whole bunch of code. That's what I'm, okay, I'm sorry, sort of stumbling. A bunch of code there is my accessor methods where I have simply copied and pasted in is valid DMY. Oh, okay. Com- okay. All right. Okay. So <laughs> now I'm ready oh, to yeah, think. I should have said. Okay. Sorry, I should have said. When you're really yes, following okay. along, it's harder. Okay. So you've got, you've, you've got var my date and uh, you're saying my date, day, month, year is invalid, but year, month, day is valid. I have no, I have both, no idea. Oh, because you have to evaluate the date first, the year first. And if you give it the day first, it can't run that function to check to see whether it's a leap year. So it doesn't know whether 29 is real. Well, it can though, right? So when I say new pbs.date, the default values came into being. So my default is oh. 1 January 1970. So when I say my date.day29, that becomes 1, that becomes 29 January 1970. Then I say set it to February. So it becomes 29 February 1970. Mm-hmm. Throw exception. 29 February Oh, oh, I didn't think about that. So each one of the defaults keeps its. Yeah, the the default would still be there by then. Yeah. So when I do it the other way around and I say set the year, then the month, then the day, then we go first of January 1970 becomes first of January 2016 becomes second of January. Sorry, becomes first of February 2016 becomes 29th of February 2016. We never pass through an invalid state. That code will succeed. Wow. Now, this is obviously really annoying, having people got to get the order right. So what's the solution to this stupidity? 
you should have put it, the order right at the beginning, like me and Jill said. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, no. The simplest thing to do is to make a new accessor method that lets us set all three in one go. So we don't have to say first set the year, then set the month, then set the day. Why don't we just let people set all three in one go? Okay. And why do we let them do it in any order they like? We already have a function called dot American that gives the output in Allison format. And we have one called dot European that gives the output in Bart format. So what if I changed those functions so that they check to see if they got arguments? And if they got arguments, we'll turn them into a setter function. So if you say dot American, uh, okay, American is day, so 29, comma 2, comma 2016, then it will set the date to that value. And if you say dot European, 29, no, wait. You're Whatever. not day month year, you're month day year. You month, know what day, I mean? Month day year. No, day so month year. basically turn those two functions that already exist so that they can take arguments if you want. And okay. that's the challenge I'm setting you. That's part of your homework. Oh, I was going to say, I don't see where you said how to do that. I didn't. I didn't. Okay, I... I will be asking lots of questions after we get off the air because I didn't really follow that at all to know. Okay. So right I know now, what you're saying just... is that if you put them in the wrong order, then, uh, but, but they don't give them to us that way at all. They give us three numbers inside of parentheses. They give us. Okay. That's the constructor, right? So that's your constructor for creating your object with values. And that works fine because you've said, you said all three at once and that'll work fine. But what, I, what I'm saying is, I've done my constructor, I'm finished calling my constructor, and then I call the year accessor, and then I call the month accessor, and then I call the day accessor, or vice versa. And if I do it in one order, the code succeeds, and if I do it in the other order, the code fails, because there are three, I'm, dear Mr. Object, change your day. Dear Mr. Object, change your month. Dear Mr. Object, change your year. If I say those in the wrong order, Mr. Object goes, whoa. I'm sorry, but that's not permitted. You can't have the 29th of February 2016. Even though you're on your... Or 2017 or whatever. There are three atomic actions. They should... Because there are three function calls. Day, month, year. We're calling, the, we're calling three different functions there. Okay. I don't know how to call three things at the same time. How do I... I don't know how well, to do that. Well, you can see it right there. So my date.day calls the day function. Yeah. Now, do you remember me telling you at the end of every one of your accesses, return this? Yeah. Well, if you didn't do that, then my line of code there would fall on its backside. Which line of code? You've already got one of them falls on its backside and one doesn't. So I don't know what you're talking okay. about. Lost. So, okay. So my date.day.month.year, that's called function chaining. So I am calling the day function. Then I'm calling the month function. Then I'm calling the year function. So okay. I'm chaining three function calls. I do remember function chaining, and I remember you saying that uh, return this had to do with function chaining. Yes. So return you this. Said put a pin in it, and I did. Chain them. But I don't yeah. know what we're talking about now. Okay. okay. So you see the line there. It says my date dot day. Okay. We we'll look at my date dot year twenty sixteen dot month two dot day twenty nine. Okay. That's we'll function that chaining. That's function chaining. Okay. So what happens is we always evaluate from left to right. So mm -hmm. my date, that's an object. Dot year 2016 means call the year function on that object with the value 2016 as a first argument. Okay. 
So that will, oh, I have an argument. I will stick that into this dot underscore year and then return this. Mm-hmm. So what we have left at that point is my date dot month two. So we had a return and we got back my date again because this was my date. So then we're calling month two on my date. And we set the month to two and we return this. Then what we're left with is my date dot day 29. Okay. So that's function chaining. We're just yeah. calling that same, we're calling three functions on the one object, but it's one function. Then we return the object. Then we call the second function and we return the object. And then we call the third function. So you somehow so want to call three functions at the same time and you think I know how to do that? But it's not at the same time. It's sequentially. It's call this function, then this function, then this function. So we're saying call the year function on my date, then call the month function on my date, then call the day function on my date. So we set the year, then we set the month, then we set the day. So that line there is entirely equivalent if you scroll down to my date dot year 2016, my date dot month two, my date dot day 29. We've done those three lines of code in one is all we've done. Okay. I'm, I'm, and that's called function chaining. That act right. of doing one after the other after the other. Okay, so what's line. that got to do with the homework? Okay, so I am saying that the reason we have a problem is that the only way a user can change their mind about the date after they've made your object, so when the constructor is finished and gone away, if they change their mind, they have to do it in three individual pieces. They've got to change their mind on the year and the month and the day separately. Yes? Because there's no functions provided in they our prototype. Give, they give yeah. you three numbers with commas between them. In the constructor. So once the constructor is called, you have your object, and then the constructor doesn't happen again. So if you need to change your mind... So you, you just have, give the three numbers again. But then Why? you create a whole new object. You're not changing your existing object, you're making a new object. It should be possible to change an object. Okay. No idea what you're no. talking about now. I don't. I, we've got a user who stuffs in information and we give them an answer. That's all we have. Okay, well, the, no, the constructor creates an object. So var Allison's birthday equals new pbs.date and then three numbers I don't know. Okay. We pretend you're 21, whatever that would be. 42058. <laughs> you didn't have to say. I don't care. Uh, I, I don't know if you're telling the truth either, actually. So... <laughs> Or what order they're in. I don't know anything. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's that. So, so you have created an object that contains inside it three numbers. Okay. A year, a month, and a day. Okay. And you've stuck them into a variable named Allison's birthday. Right. So that line of code is now finished. Right. And the constructor is gone. It's run and it's finished. It's built your object. Yep. You now have this object. So if I want to change your birthday, I would have to say Allison's birthday dot year, open bracket, a new number, close bracket, and that will change only the year part of your I didn't even know you could do that. Okay, well, that's the job of an accessor function, is to get or set current value. So when you pass it an argument, you're setting. So you're changing what's inside the object to the new value. Okay. Okay. And then we have another function that allows you to change the month, and another function that allows you to change the day. So you have to do three function calls. I can change the year, then I can change the month, then I can change the day. Okay. 
If I do them in the wrong order, my code can break. Okay. Even though the end result, the the the, the before would be and the validate. after, effect, yeah, I'm what happens you. in between could go wrong, and that's a dumb way to design the prototype. Okay, okay, uh, I'm with need, you now. So, what's the assignment, though? The assignment is what we need. What we need is a function that takes three arguments and changes all three at once. So we could write a whole new function from scratch called update date and take three arguments, and then we could we could that we could make that work. But I'm saying we already have a function that spits out the three numbers in an American order. What if we say allow the existing function dot American to optionally take three arguments? If you call it with no arguments, do exactly what you do now. If you call it with three arguments, change the values stored inside to those three new values. Okay. If I call year with no arguments, you get back the current year. Yes. If I call year with one argument, it changes the year. Yes. So I'm saying right now in your code, when you call American, you pass no arguments and you get back a string, which is some sort of representation of the value. Right. Yes. Right. I'm saying change your code so that it will check to see if there are arguments. And if there are arguments, turn the function into a setter. So it will set the value to the three values passed. Okay. <laughs> so take your existing code and put if arguments at length double equals zero, and then do everything you did before. Uh, but my function did take a year. It did take an argument. It took three arguments. No, your constructor took three arguments. Your American function takes no argument. I know you've tried to hammer down all these words, but they still don't stand okay. as words I can repeat back to you. I don't know what you just said that was different than what I just said. I feel I feel like did you ever watch Friends when Joey is trying to learn to speak French and and uh, and uh, Phoebe will say je ne sais quoi and he'll say blah, 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 and he can't tell the difference between the two. It's exactly like that. Okay, so when you say some var something equals new and then the name of some prototype, then you're calling the constructor, which builds an object. So if I say new pbs.date, I'm calling the constructor. If I say new pbs.time, I'm calling the constructor. Ah, but if we I don't want a new one. We don't want a new exactly. one. Ah, finally, we're going to figure out what new meant. New, yeah, so new means build me New one. is so creating, is building an object using a prototype. Yes, and the, the bit that does the building is the constructor, which is the function with the same name as a prototype. <sighs> so pbs.date, function pbs.date is the constructor for pbs.date. Because Satan made that decision. Okay. Because the people who wrote the JavaScript <laughs> language wanted to make everyone's head explode. Okay, okay. I, I wish okay. I could repeat back what you'd said, because I can't yet. When I say var, this is why practice is important. Var my birthday equals new pbs dot date. I have said, uh, use the or did it have pro? I should add prototype in that sentence there somewhere. Pro, new prototype dot date. That would have been oh, pbs dot date. So new and then something. Yes. So you're going to yeah. say new, blah blah blah. So make right. me a new. So blah, it, blah, blah. a new a new date. No, I see. I can't. 
object okay. with a constructor that does accessor, they're all just still not okay. there. Whatever comes after the word new is the constructor you're calling. So pbs.date is the constructor that you're calling if you're saying var something equals new pbs.date. Okay, let me say that. that. Let me say have... that. Let me say that. So new pbs.date, I'm calling the constructor pbs.date, which yes. builds an object using a prototype. It builds an object of the prototype pbs.date. So because you use that constructor, that becomes that object's type, that object's <laughs> kind, that object's species, that object's okay. nationality. That ob- <laughs> okay. The object becomes that. Okay. Forevermore in its life, the object is what built it. Okay, so when I don't use new, I'm not going to use a constructor because I already constructed one. Okay. Yes. So I, I, if I don't use the word new, then I'm modifying the existing prototype? You're modifying the, the existing, existing object. object. Yes. Okay. Using the functions in the prototype. Okay. So, so you have, there is a function in your prototype called pbs.time.prototype.hours. Right. So you can say var my time equals new time, and then you can say my time.hours. Mm-hmm. So you're calling that function in the prototype named hours. So your prototype for time contains a function named American. Sorry, not that. Your, your date prototype contains a function named American. Right. You wrote it. Right. And it prints out something like, this is the right way to do a date, not the same <laughs> European way, probably. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So that function exists and you wrote it. And right now, as it stands, that function does not have any arguments. So if you scroll to your code or mine, it doesn't matter which, you're going to see it says pbs.datetime.prototype.american equals function, open round bracket, close round bracket, open curly bracket, all your code. Wait, sorry, say it one more time. I had to open mine to try to follow along. Say what? Okay, so if you do a find for pbs.date, Mm-hmm. dot prototype dot american you'll find a line in your code somewhere mm-hmm. so that is where you're defining the american function right so right now that function does not expect any argument ah there it is it says function it's got open and closed roundy okay. brackets right and it returns a string right which you assemble through some yes. lines of code and you return a string okay so I am saying that you should update this function so it has an if statement inside it that says, if there are arguments, then I would like you to change the value of this dot year, this dot month, and this dot day, rather than returning me a string. Okay. And so I have provided, like before, test code that should work. So you know you've done it right when you can run the test code. And I'm now scrolling, scrolling, scrolling to find my test code. Okay, so... Yes, so... Gonna prank Bart that you... Okay, uh, where's the test code for that particular piece? (laughs) 
One of us oh, should be shit. talking. I'm trying to write down what you said while you're scrolling. <laughs> okay, anyway, I don't know which I, is I, better when I'm arguing with you or when we're not talking at all. Whatever. Uh, okay. Anyway, let, let's let's for clarity state the challenge. Good. So there are three parts to the challenge. So using either your own solution to the previous challenge or my sample solution as your starting point, mm -hmm. make the following changes. Okay. First, add private helper functions to do the following. One, a function to validate integers. Hint, hint, I've given you one. <laughs> so you can use the one above or you can write your own. Don't care which. Okay. Number two, write a function that takes a number and converts it to a string of a fixed length. So in other words, if I give you the number two and I say it has to be of length four, I want you to give me zero, 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 four. Okay. If I give you the number 10 and I give you the length two, just give me 10. Okay. If I give you the number nine and I give you a length two, I want zero, nine. Okay. See what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I'd like you to use that function in all of your various two-string functions so that your dates become 01-04- a four-digit year. Okay. Can they be slashes? Because that's what I use. Oh, yeah, whatever. The point okay. being, I want the numbers yeah. to always... Yeah, it did bother me that they were single. I'll give the listeners a hint. Look up slice. That is a way to do it. That will not be the way I do it, because you like slicing and I hate slicing. I love but it slicing. Doesn't matter. I don't care how, right? You get to write the function. <laughs> okay. You will know you have succeeded when the following below works. Okay. Okay, so the second thing I'd like you to do is update pbs.date so that dot american and dot european functions continue to do what they do now if you pass them no arguments at all but if you do pass them arguments i want them to change the value inside the object instead of just returning it all right and the order should be the american order in the american function and the european order in the european function so that if some people want to give them as DMY and some people want to give them as MY, no, MDY, they can call dot American or dot European and then they can give them in the order they like. Oh, so. Okay, so they can't give it to you in your month date. Unless you write a fourth function called dot international and okay. make it go the other way, I guess. You could do that if you want. Okay. And finally. I want you to add two more functions to date. I want you to make a function named international. That's just like American and European, but it works in YMD. So use okay. either of those two as your example and just change all the orders of things. Okay. That's the only one I think I can do so far. <laughs> and then I'd like you to make a function named English that will return... Something like 2nd of March 2016. Okay. And that's it. Okay. So you're basically editing some functions and writing some functions. By the way, we don't say 2nd of March 2016. We say March 2nd, 2016. <laughs> I think you should start with the last two because they're easiest. So international yeah. and English and then work back from there. Okay. Okay. Now let's do some new stuff because that, that took a lot oh, longer. Oh my I goodness. Are you kidding me? We haven't started. We have new oh, stuff to go. We do. It's what an hour and six minutes, Bart. Oh, wow. 
Well, I, I, I just did... assume you didn't do new stuff. No, I did way less new stuff than I'd planned to. A whole bunch of new stuff got pushed into next week, but I do still want to do something new. Okay. Not this much well, is new. Is your brain up to it? Is your uh, brain up to Yeah, to... I'm not tired at all. But Okay, well, it's your show, so if you think that we have 25 more minutes, then we have 25 more minutes. And if you think we don't, then I guess we don't. But I kind of like to do that. Well, let's just, let's just keep going. Okay, everybody may make a mark right now. You're, you're an hour into the show. Put it on pause. Go potty and come back. <laughs> go get a I mean, beverage. If you have headphones on, you can potty while you're listening. <laughs> Stop it. As long as there's no mic, it's fine. I was, um, on the, I was on the SMR podcast yesterday. Fantastic episode. It was so much fun. We just laughed our heads up. But Rob Dunwood said, everybody plays with their, with their uh, phone in the toilet. So I just yes. lean in and I, I play games with the sound on. <laughs> oh, God. He said, why pretend you're not doing it? <laughs> well, that's true, actually. Actually, oh, I think I do, too. As I think about it. <laughs> just never They're not it. loud sounds, though. Where WordPress makes little rattly noises when you move the letters about. Not WordPress, letterpress. I was going to say WordPress. <laughs> you you no, have an interesting idea of what a game is. All right. I love letterpress. Anyway. Okay. Okay. So right. reset your brain. No more JavaScript until the next time. Okay. Right. Start over. We're now learning some new stuff. So believe it or not, the first bit of new stuff, I'm going to teach you a little bit more CSS. Yay. You thought we were done, didn't you? No, I was hoping we weren't because I still don't know how to do it. <laughs> good. Good. So I've, we've told you that CSS. So as a quick reminder, CSS consists of selectors, which say what we want to change. Open squiggly bracket and then statements saying stuff like border, one pixel, solid green or whatever. Right. So the selector says what. Then inside the squiggly brackets, we have many statements to say what changes to make. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to teach you today is some new selectors. Okay. So the select, the simplest selector on the planet is simply the name of a tag. So P, open squiggly bracket, means Every single paragraph. Yes, this is right. just revision, by the way. I'm just yeah, yeah. Getting you back into the mood. Okay. Now we came across the selector dot or period, which means class. So p dot boogers means paragraphs with the class boogers. Right. And just dot boogers means any tag with the class boogers. So dot okay. boogers open curly bracket means it could be a paragraph, it could be a heading, it could be a div. Okay, as long as, as, long the, as class it has the class boogers. Okay. It's happy. All right. Uh, we also learned about the pound sign, which means has the ID, whatever comes after the pound sign. So pound sign boogers would be whatever tag has ID equals boogers. I actually used that information the other day. I can't remember what it was, but that, that is something I, I, I was all proud of myself. So, oh, that's a class. Look at that. <laughs> Yes, and just for for our UK listeners, or an idea, I should say. Yes. So, uh, being in Ireland, we've had the euro for a while, so I forgot that in 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 the UK, a pound is that squiggly thing with like a squiggle and two lines. Oh, that's not what we mean. We mean what you British people call a hash symbol. Yeah, we could call it hash, since the kids today and all their hashtags. Well, actually, the hashtag has made life much easier. So yes, hash. Doesn't it? So hash. It's got a really fancy name too. It's got a a big fancy name for it too. Oh, there is a name, and it, yeah, I don't remember what the fancy pants name is because I always call it. I, to be honest, in day to day life, I call it a hash. But podcasting, I've become American. 
Uh, I get in trouble with my friends because I say things like sidewalk. That's entirely from podcasting. It's cell phone. I talk about cell phones. No Irish person talks about cell phones. Anyway. Oh, how, how interesting. Because I'm starting to go the other way. I used, uh, I called um, Apple singular the other day, or plural the other day. I Yay. used it as plural. So it's crossing over. Good, good. So I, yeah, everyone's laughing at me so they can laugh at you too. Good. There you go. <laughs> okay. So that was a quick reminder of the concept of a selector. So there are Octothorpe. ways of saying... Octothorpe, thank you. <laughs> You've been Googling. <laughs> yes. Okay, so that's the concept of selectors, and we've already learned those few I've mentioned. It is possible to select a tag based on the attribute. Really? Yes. So a reminder, if you say open angle bracket IMG space S or C equals something, S or C is the attribute. Okay. So the thing after the tag. Yeah. So it's not color or anything like that? um, Well, no. So if you were writing the HTML, you would say angle bracket IMG space S or C equals blur space alt equals blur. So So alt alt is the attribute. both, Both of them are attributes, alt and S or C. Okay. So that tag has two attributes. Okay. So that's just to get the vocabulary in our head again. Okay. So if you wanted to select every image that has a title attribute, the syntax is IMG, open square bracket, title, close square bracket. So we're not Hmm. testing the value of the title. We're just saying, is there a title of any kind? Okay. So if you wanted to make every image that has a title green, you would say IMG, open square bracket, title, close square bracket, Open your squiggly border colon one px solid green. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Okay. All right. So we can get a bit more fancy. So that's the simplest. Is the attribute there? Well, what if we want to check its value? So the next thing is square bracket name of attribute equals value inside quotation marks. So if I want to mark every link with the target of underscore blank in purple, mm-hmm. I would say a open square bracket, target equals quote, underscore blank, quote, close square bracket, open my squigglies, color purple, close my squiggly. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So that's simple enough. Now, we then get into the lesser used but really cool ones. So the same syntax, but instead of just saying equals, you say hat symbol or caret equals. That means begins with. Sort of like our regular expressions? Like our regular expressions, which is why I don't forget it. (laughs) dollar equals means ends with okay so as an example for begins with you might mark every link whose href starts with https colon slash slash in green oh okay so all your secure links would be green yeah so a open square bracket href hat equals quote https colon slash slash end quote end your square bracket then open your squiggly color colon green close your squiggly okay for ends with, you might say that every image that is a GIF gets a red border because you don't like GIFs or something. <laughs> so then you would say IMG open square bracket SRC dollar equals quote dot GIF end your quote end your square bracket open your squiggly border one PX solid red close your squiggly. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. It bothers me a little bit that there's no space that it's SRC dollar and SRC uh, carrot. Yeah, 
But, but all move your on. CSS selectors are all mushed together because the space in the CSS selector means oh. and, or sorry, uh, contained within. So P space IMG means images inside paragraph. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So all right. All There's a reason. Yeah, it's not just because they hate us. <laughs> okay. So then we get into the, okay. So the presence of the attribute is easy. The equal sign is easy. The hat equals is pretty easy if you know regular expressions and the pound equals is pretty easy i have two more to tell you about one of which is pretty easy star equals just means contains okay sounds good so it doesn't have to be at the beginning it doesn't have to be at the end it just has to be somewhere and then the last one oh, oh and it's i just noticed these all have equal right after so it, it's it's uh carrot equal dollar equal star equal star equal okay and then it and they all those have to be strings. They're, yes. they're in so quotes. name okay. of attribute star equals a string you're looking for. Okay. Then the last one is a little confusing at first because it's going to take some explaining. It's value contains word is how it's described. And it is the tilde equals. Okay. So we know that you can say rel equals no opener. We've talked right. about that. Right. So rel is an attribute and it can have the value no opener. Uh -huh. But actually, there's other legal values. Another legal value for rel is no follow, which tells yeah. a search engine not to follow the link and not to ruin your reputation if their site gets hacked. Oh, okay. That's what that's for. Heard so if that you, one. on Twitter, if you look at a link someone tweets on Twitter's webpage, if you, if you check its source, it will be no, rel no follow on the link the user posted. So the Twitter's reputation isn't affected by potential presidents of America tweeting silly things. Actually, he's, he is now, isn't he? Anyway, yes, he was inaugurated today. Um, but you could want both. You could want a rel of no opener and a rel of no follow at the same time. How do you do that? Well, the answer is the specification says you can use a space to separate multiple values. So you can say rel no opener space no follow and that's legal right so if you want to test on a multi-valued attribute if one of the values is exactly something that's what tilde equals is for so if you say tilde equals no follow it will match it even if it's part of no opener space no follow wouldn't so you could use a a, a dollar equals in that case just because no follows at the end Right, but there's no re it's also just as legal to have no follow in the beginning ah. or no follow in the middle of three. Yeah, okay. So that's why tilde equals exists. It's for checking a space-delimited list. I like it because it's sort of like, I don't know, there might be stuff on either side. I don't know. Exactly. It's so contains. It would only match it, it, but it's clever contains because if, you, if, if there was a legal value called absolutely no follow, it wouldn't match no follow because there wouldn't be a space. What if it, so you had just put the word follow in there? It wouldn't find that either. No. So it okay. has to be on its own as a separate word. And a valid, it's called. And a valid word. word. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And that's the most difficult one we're going to do. Well, so a rel tilde equals no follow. We'll just find any, any link. So basically to hammer the point home, I have some sample here. So it says a open square bracket rel tilde equals the string no follow. And then insert, we say squiggly bracket, color colon gray, closer squiggly. And that CSS will apply to all three of the following HTML links. So a href equals whatever, rel equals no follow on its own. 
it will match rel equals no opener space no follow and it will match rel equals no follow space no opener hmm. because okay. no follow is a word in all three of those values right 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 and just a final thing to say is that like everything else we've learned before you can combine all of these selectors so if you want to mark if you want to select links of the class pbs with a href that starts with https it's a dot pbs so name of tag dot class open square bracket href start hat equals https hang on like all other selectors the attributes can be combined Install all the links with the class pbs that have href attributes the selector with A.PBS href starts with HTPS. Hmm. Okay. And we've learned this before, right? Because you have yeah. .PBS or A.PBS. So it's just the same idea again. Yeah. You okay. can stick these together. That's it. Okay. So there we've learned a little chunk of CSS, and that's standalone. Nice. That's a new thing we've learned today. And the reason I'm teaching it to you now is because the ability to work with attributes is really, really helpful in everything to do with web forms. Really? Yes, it is, because you might have a button of type submit or a button of type button. What if you want the submit button to be in bold? Well, it's button, open square bracket, type equals submit, close square bracket, open your squiggly, font weight bold, close your squiggly. Say that whole thing again about making the button bold. I didn't follow. Okay, so you can, you if you remember last time we said button type equals button was how you made an ordinary button. Mm-hmm. And button type equals submit was how you made a submit button. So the oh, difference between right. those two is the type attribute. Right. So you can say square bracket type equals submit, and you're only going to style submit buttons. Okay. And it's very normal to make your submit button stand out. Yeah. Make it bold or make it green. Bye. Or... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to you want to style it differently to your other buttons. And that's where this CSS selector comes in. Okay. So that's why we're doing it now. And okay. it's not just buttons. Okay. So the last thing I want to do today is have a closer look at the button tag we briefly saw last time. Just to finalize it. So we told you last time that to make a button, the tag is button and that it takes an attribute named type. Type can have three values. Submit, which is the default, which means if you click on this form, if you click on this button, the form it belongs to will submit. Type equals reset. I have never told you about before. So this is a new one we're learning today. Type equals reset means take the form I belong to and put everything back the way it was when the page loaded. Which apparently is what's in almost every web form when you try to buy something and they erase your name and your date. And your... <laughs> Did they accidentally put reset in the code? Is that what happens? Well, they must be doing something. But yeah, so you can provide a button whose job in life is to blank everything out. So you just say <laughs> button type equals reset and it's We've job in life. We've all found that page, right? And then the last thing is type equals button. Makes a plain button, which does nothing unless JavaScript is attached to it. So a submit submits a form, a reset puts everything back the way it was, and a button does nothing unless you have some JavaScript to make it do something. Hmm. Okay. Buttons can also contain an attribute named value. And this attribute has no visible effect on the button. Hmm. 
but hmm. it's accessible via JavaScript and jQuery. And when you submit the form, it will also get sent to the server. For now, it's of no interest to us. But I just want to say, you can give a button a value. I'll leave it at that. Do buttons have, do they have alt tags? No, because inside the button tag, you type the text you want. Okay. I'm, I'm so just, they have text, like a paragraph. I I'm just want to make sure that we cover and keep in mind doing this right for accessibility, just because, yes. um, so I have Amazon affiliate links in, say, Germany. Uh, and so I get I get paid. I can go check my Amazon affiliate page in German, except for the fact that it's in German, which is a little problematic for me. You know, my German's not as good as it never was. So what I do is I open the page in Chrome and Chrome is fantastic. It goes, hey, I noticed this is in German, but I haven't seen you type in a lot of German. You want to see this in English? I said, well, yes, I would. And every single button is still German. All the text around it, but they've they've used graphical elements instead of words. Yes. So d make sure you don't let us do that, because I figure if they've right. done that, then that might e not even be a labeled button. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. Or maybe it has an alt tag, but which may or may not have gotten trans. Like, but basically, you don't actually want to do that. You don't want to use pictures as your buttons. You actually want to use the button tag with some text. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, what you should do. That's the right thing to do. Not a picture. Not a picture with a click handler. Now a that I've mentioned it. With some text. Now that I've mentioned it, look at Amazon when you're there and realize how old school it looks. Right, because they're not HTML buttons. They are images. Yeah. That have been made behave like buttons. They're, they're not buttons. Really awful, really. But they then are. again, they haven't yeah. changed where anything is in so long. We all know how to keep pushing that buy button. <laughs> yeah, Amazon is very retro. Very retro. Okay. I just want to make sure you won't let us ever do that. Yeah, don't do that. Okay, so you can put inside between button and slash button, you put whatever is going to be visible to the human as the button. Okay. So you can put in some text and or a picture. And a picture is good or a picture is bad. Okay, good, 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 good answer. Right? I like and it. And a picture means there is a visual cue and there is some text. So a person with a screen reader has text. A person who doesn't speak your language has a visible cue. Mm. And a person who does speak your language can read and a translator has a chance. Yeah. So like so a picture of a shopping cart, very handy to a vi visual uh, user, but not having it labeled is just mean. Exactly. So I like to have my buttons have the text and a little pictogram, just a little 16 by 16 pixel pictogram or something. Uh -huh. And so you can put an image tag inside a button and that works absolutely fine. Okay. So... We have a zip file for this installment. It's not a very big one, but nonetheless, it contains a HTML page and it contains a folder named Contrib, which contains a few graphics I have downloaded from an open, from a, an open source library of graphics. That way I have some pictograms to put into my buttons. <laughs> so the first row of buttons has the H2 basic buttons. So if you look at the HTML, it just says H1 PBS 28 example buttons. And then we say H2 basic buttons. P below are unstyled buttons of all three types slash P. Then we have a form. And then we have a paragraph that contains button type equals reset, which contains the text a reset button slash button. Button type equals button, a button 
slash button. Button, type equals submit, a submit button, slash button. Okay. So if you open that page, the very basic buttons, lo and behold, you get a really default set of buttons in Safari. They're white. In Firefox, they're probably subtly different. On Windows, they're going to look different. They are, as provided by the browser, completely basic, ordinary, uninteresting buttons. <laughs> you agree? Yes. Well, I got confused because I double-clicked index.html and I went, wow, look, there's some basic buttons. And then I realized yeah. I was supposed to be looking at the HTML, so it took me a second. Yeah. The other thing to notice is when you visually look at the page, there is no difference between the submit button, the reset button, and the button button. Right. So you have to read and think and everything? Exactly. So that is out of the box, no styling whatsoever. But a button can be CSS styled just like a paragraph can. So if we go back to the HTML, we have some CSS inside our head section. So the first thing on line eight, we say button.pbs open square bracket type equals reset. So what's that selector saying? So button, what does that mean? That's just the type or the, the that's class. Just the tag. So yeah, no, no, it's just the, the, the thing. So a button tag. Dot PBS. What does dot PBS mean? I want to say that's the class? Yes. Oh. So a button of class PBS, square bracket type equals reset. What does that mean? That means you've just made that into uh, everything that has dot PBS is a reset? It'd be easier if I knew which line you were on. I, I lost you. Line uh, eight. Oh, way up at the top. Okay. So button.pbs, open square bracket, type equals reset. Um, what we're saying is every button tag that has the class PBS and the attribute type has the value reset. Will become every, every, every type button with the class PBS. No, every, shoot, every tag. Every button tag. Every button, every button tag, tag with the class PBS will become the type reset. No, that has the attribute ah, type. Set has the, the type app reset will be colored gray. Yes. Okay. And then we have below it, every button with the class PBS of type button gets the color dark blue. And every button with the class PBS of type submit becomes bold with the color dark green. Okay. That that took me a minute, but I think, I, I think I'm with you now. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's going to take you a bit of practice because there's three selectors together here, right? The tag selector, the class selector, and the new attribute selectors we just learned about today. So right. all three have to be true. It has to be a button tag, it has to have the class PBS, and it has to have an attribute type with a value button. And right. then these rules apply. Then it becomes dark blue. Okay. So if we look at our second row of buttons, the code is identically the same, except for the fact that it says class equals PBS on each of our three buttons. Let's see. So your styled buttons row. Mm -hmm. Class equals PBS. Okay. This and is really good, at... Bart, to finally see it in such a simple example, because this is stuff that like, I kind of know, but I, I've never had such a concise little example to work with. That's nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm listening. <laughs> so as we can see now on the second, if we're looking in Safari at the result of this code, uh -huh. we see that a reset button has now been dimmed away by having its color be dim gray. So the text sort of fades away a bit because uh -huh. it's a gray instead of a black. 
Right. Our button button has gone blue. And our submit button has gone bold and green. So now our three buttons look different to each other. Yeah. This is better. Okay. And then finally, Do we get to do best next? <laughs> yeah. So fi- it's not best. It's better, better. Because next week we get to do absolute best. Okay. But I didn't have time to fit in what I... I really wanted to have a third new thing today, but I realized it was never going to work. So <laughs> I, I, okay. So... I told you you could stick an image tag between button and slash button. And lo and behold, if you look at line 58, line 62 and line 66, you'd see there is an image tag and it is inside a button tag. Huh. Look at that. And you gave it and alt equals reset. Good. I did indeed. Yes. That way, when you hover over the little icon, it will say something sane and sensible or the screen reader will say something sane and sensible. So not only does it have text, it's also got alt text. Exactly. So the image has alt text and there's text text next to the image. So we're being very friendly here. That's weird. When I'm hovering over these, they... No, no, no. That would be title that would show up if you hovered. So only screen readers will see it. Correct. Okay. Now, I have also given those buttons the class PBS. So if you scroll back up to the CSS on line 24, you will see that I style images within buttons of class PBS. Okay, so... so... so the button with the image PBS. or with the tag, wait, button is a tag? Yes. Okay, the button, things with button tags with class.pbs or pbs. Mm-hmm. So what does the space mean? Oh, uh, we just had that conversation. We did. Uh, so actually, we're styling image tags inside, inside buttons. buttons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of class pbs. Okay, and then you're saying the we're image, saying, you're giving it. Uh, a height and a vertical alignment of baseline. So baseline means line it up at the bottom of the A, the O, the E, the bottom of the letters that don't stick under oh. the line. Well, that's kind of neat. The um, baseline is like in your copybook in school. That's your baseline. Yeah, that's been a little while ago, Bart. Remember the 1958 birth date. Uh, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, wait. The so- height is 0.9 M. Right. So what's an M? An, an M, M is well, one EM is a full height. So you're yeah. saying make it so nine tenths of a height of the size. Nine tenths of a height, so that it doesn't poke too far up. Oh, but wait a minute. Okay, I was looking for all the other stuff we're going to do to it, but you don't have to. You don't have to re-say make it bold and green. You're just right. saying if it has an image tag in it, it apply to the image these rules. Remember, so it's the image tag. If it's inside a button of class PBS, then do this to the image. So the image becomes nine tenths of an M. Okay. And the image goes onto the baseline. So okay. The so if you had put IMG. a 200 pixel image in there, it would have shrunk it down to nine tenths of an of a full M. Yes, it would. Okay. Otherwise, if I hadn't have done that, the <laughs> pixel size of your image will break your buttons. It'll go right. bashing out through the buttons. By the way, don't do that anyway, because then they, your browser still has to load that giant image and you're shrinking it. Correct. So the third and final row of buttons is just like the second row, except that we have these cute little reset, cancel, and save icons. <laughs> and I think they're quite cute. I like it. So that's where we're going to leave it for today. I am going to tell you that using images is not what you want to do. What you would really like in that last row is some sort of vector-based graphic so that you could scale it to any size. Ooh. 
And that is what I'm going to give you next time. <laughs> well, good. We got a teaser. I'm glad we kept going. This was fun. I I, I know I uh, argued with you a lot in the middle of this, but uh, I think I'm going to probably, I may leave, put a little thing at the beginning of this, but in case I don't get around to doing it, Bart and I are trying a new thing here where we're doing video, even though we're not recording it so that he can see me when I'm frustrated. So I think we're having a better time of, of, of communicating because a lot of times when I on the on the rare occasions I'm actually saying something right I can see him nodding his head vigorously and that's encouraging when I get to see that and he can see me with this look of utter confusion and stop and start over so I think I think that's helping you know it's definitely helping if you think about it when I was teaching at university I never had to teach with a blindfold on I could always see the students yeah yeah we should ask Dr. Carter how he deals with that right I imagine the background hum probably tells them when they've gone. <laughs> yeah, everybody just left, right? <laughs> well, no, if, if suddenly instead of raptured silence, there's mumble, 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 mumble. Well, then you've lost them, right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose that would work. But uh, yeah, I think this is I think this is helping. I think it's it's helping us communicate better. And I hope that's uh, being reflected in the uh, in the quality of what we're pulling off, off here. I'm still yeah, just so, as confused, but at least you know it when I am now. <laughs> right, but it helps because then we can nail in because we can we can pinpoint the actual point of confusion. Right, right, right. And do a surgical strike. <laughs> so next time we're going to have a sample solution at our improvement of our existing prototypes. So we're adding in these little private anonymous functions as private helper functions to stop our code reuse to stamp out a bad smell. Mm-hmm. And then we're making, we're adding some extra features by making existing functions do more and by adding two new functions. And so we look at a sample solution. And then what we're going to do next time is we're going to fix more bad smells. Because oh, there's still a few stinks left in even the code <laughs> after your last set of homework. It's still going to be a bit stinky. <laughs> so we're going to stamp out a few more bad smells. And every time we stamp out a bad smell, I'm going to use that as a teachable moment. So in other words, here is something that is wrong therefore a problem to be solved an actual mm-hmm. concrete problem and then we're going to talk about how to fix it so that's the way i'm going to approach this that's how we're going to continue with our revision and then we're going to learn how to do buttons with s- scalable glyphs or Whatever. i don't know what you want to call an icon that's not an image <laughs> but it's going to be a pictogram and it will grow and shrink to infinitely big or infinitely small buttons Vectors. Okay, that sounds like fun. I'm really looking forward to that, Bart. This is. Uh, I know I uh, I got stuck for quite a while there, but we pulled through, and I, uh, I I'm I'm really enjoying this. And I think getting these, I I don't know that assignment looks pretty hard, but we'll see. We'll we'll uh, if I start early and and I can keep completely neglecting the other podcast, we'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, until next time, happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com, and you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook, and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening, and stay subscribed. Stay subscribed.